Lord, thank you for your grace and love, your goodness. We thank you for your goodness towards us. Just your grace and all that you do, Lord. Through the years, we're just in awe of you. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us now as we look to this uh, incredible man, Obadiah. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Want to turn to the book of Obadiah? Um, Obadiah is um, right after um, Amos. We've just finished. And the message is simply entitled, The Prophet Obadiah. During the um, battle of um, the wilderness in the Civil War, Union General John Sedwick was inspecting his troops. At one point, he came to a parapet over which uh, he gazed out in the direction of his enemies. His officers suggested that it was unwise for him to not duck as he passed this parapet. Nonsense, he says, snapped the general. They couldn't hit an elephant at this distance, end of quote. A moment later, Sedwick fell to the ground, fatally wounded. Such was the pride and the haughtiness of the Edomites in Obadiah prophesied against them for this, their pride, their arrogance. Anytime we think that we are sufficient in ourselves, anytime we think we've got it all wired, we are headed for destruction. Obadiah is a clear reminder to all who are proud, treacherous, and overconfident in themselves, and that God will um, abase them sooner or later. And so, what we want to do is look at Obadiah, and we want to look at him through a threefold lens this morning. Let me give you the three hooks to hang your thoughts on. First, we'll look at the prophet Obadiah. Secondly, we'll look at the period of Obadiah. And then thirdly, the prophecy of Obadiah. So we begin with the prophet Obadiah. There's Obadiah the man. He was a man like you and I, no different. These prophets, these apostles, disciples, they were people of normal flesh and blood, sinful, quirky, weird, geeky, smart, all kinds of different combinations, normal people. The name of Adiah means a servant of Yahweh, a beautiful name. Um, we're to be servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing taught in the Bible outside of servant leadership from the pastor down. We are here to serve one another and to serve sinners and uh, saints. We are not here to Lord. We are not here to exalt ourselves, but we're here to serve one another. Um, he received a vision from God and he delivered the message faithfully. Um, there are 12 other men in the Old Testament that have the name Obadiah. Obadiah, who hid a hundred prophets, fifty in a cave, as Jezebel was massacring the prophets of Yahweh in 1 Kings 18.4, is one of them. There's Obadiah uh, through the line of David, through Solomon in 1 Chronicles 3.21. We also have Obadiah in the days of Ezra and Nehemiah in Ezra 8.9 and Nehemiah 10.5. So the name Obadiah, as I said, 12 times it appears. Some have tried to identify this Obadiah, the prophet, with First Chronicles 17.7 as the Levite sent by Jehoshaphat in the third year of his reign to teach the cities of Judah. But it's impossible and uncertain. We don't know. There's nothing we can tell. Now, 
The vision of Obadiah contains 21 verses that he wrote. And this is all that we know about him. It's one little chapter, 21 verses. It has been said that the lack of information about Obadiah is very fitting due to the fact that um, we're not to be over-concerned with the servant. That's always a problem. The most important thing is not the person that is sent, but the one who sends him, God. And that that message be proclaimed. The book has been favored by the Jews and one from which they learned to apply the name Edom to Rome. Edom is pride, it's flesh, it's destruction. And you get, we get so carried away sometimes with the vessel, the instrument. And so a church sometimes is built around a personality, about a pastor or, or whatever it may be. And the church of Jesus Christ should be built around God's word. The teaching of God's word, how people are coming to be saved, how people are growing and maturing, and they're just trusting God for the work that he's doing in them. That's what the church should be all about. We also have the seer, Obadiah, not just the mere man. But the seer, here in chapter 1, verse 1, Obadiah opened up his prophetic writing with the statement, the vision of Obadiah. The word vision, as we have seen many times, is a divine communication from God to man. It is revealing the mind of God, the will of God, the direction of God, in a way that that man or woman would never be able to find out or even know. Isaiah opens up his prophecy with the the phrase, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, in chapter 1, verse 1. He also had a vision. You remember him. Um, Ezekiel had many visions, uh, incredible visions. Uh, chapter 1, he has a vision of cherubim in the throne of God in Ezekiel chapter 1, and which in National Geographic and that usually call it UFOs. A wheel within a wheel and 90 degree angles and all that. And, you know, they're, they're, they're cherubim, they're angels. It's not uh, UFOs, it's not ET. Um, you have Daniel, Zechariah, and many others who have visions that are very declared vision. A vision is while a person's uh, awake. We don't know whether it's uh, they just God communicates something in their mind or whether they actually see it at times. There's different things, but God is the one who's communicating that. And um, the dream is while you're asleep. Both individuals understand clearly that it is God who is giving that vision, that dream, and that God is directing and guiding them. Both visions and dreams fall under the category of prophecy. Both visions and dreams are involved in foretelling the future, things that God is going to do, sometimes judgments, as we're going to see here in Obadiah. Now, the man called by God to be a prophet of God is also called a seer, and we've seen this before. Um, Samuel was called a seer in 1 Samuel 9.9. You have um, Amos that we just finished in chapter 7, verse 12. He's called a seer by Amaziah. Look at verse 1 still. Obadiah qualified the vision that he saw and he wrote down. The phrase, thus saith the Lord God, indicates two important things. The originator and author of the content was God, not Obadiah. Very clear. It's just like when you get a drink of water, that glass is merely the instrument. You don't thank the glass. 
It's the water that quenches your thirst. It's God who is speaking. Obadiah was only the messenger sent to deliver the message from God. The, the, the thing that is difficult is that if a person doesn't yield to the Lord, now we don't have to worry about that with the books we have, but when God speaks to a person, that they start tainting the content and taking the glory and start changing it to bring attention to themselves. And that's easily done. I hear sometimes, you know, people on the radio or sometimes on TV, I'll flick through the channel, and, and, and they're delivering that message in such a way to where they're bringing attention to themselves. They become so flippant at the pulpit that they're not themselves. They go into an acting mode and almost like a, you know, and, and it's, they have this personality. When, when I get up on the pulpit, I speak to you the same way I speak to you when I'm talking to you. I, I don't get up here and all of a sudden, oh, God said and don't, don't, don't. You, know, you just be yourself. The content of the vision imparted to Obadiah is one of judgment against Edom under these parentheses here in verse 1. Notice Obadiah was not the only one told about this judgment. Listen carefully, verse 1. We have heard a report from the Lord Yahweh, Obadiah, and possibly other prophets. We don't know, but he says we. We have heard. God had already sent others to call on the nations to come against Edom, be they prophets or angels, were not told. Listen to the rest of it. And a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise and let us rise up against her for battle. So while God has sent an Obadiah, he has made it known to others. And whether they be prophets or angels who are securing and making these provisions, we don't know. But God is in control. The internal content of the vision lends strong evidence that Obadiah was from the southern kingdom of Judah, as you read through it. Obadiah mentions Edom's sins against Jerusalem, your brethren, and Judah in verse 11 and 12, the southern kingdom. Obadiah is one of the 12 minor prophets, as you know, of the Old Testament. Obadiah is one of the nine pre-exilic prophets before the Babylonian captivity. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are the post-exilic prophets. So you have 12. Obadiah is the fourth minor prophet in the chronological order in our English Bible. And it's the shortest book in the Old Testament. 21 verses. Obadiah is like the Holy Spirit who comes in the name of the Lord. If you remember Jesus speaking to his disciples in John 14, 15, and 16. He says many things about it. He says, you know, it's necessary that I go away. If I don't go away, he can't come. And when he comes, he will speak to you of things to come. He will show you things. He will teach you. He will not speak of himself. He will not glorify himself. He's called the Paracleo, the one to come alongside, the comforter. He doesn't bring attention to himself. He's the silence witness. Remember, Lee's or the servant. He went in the name of his master to seek a bride for his son. Not his own name. A servant represents his master. The servant is irrelevant. He's not important. We have in the New Testament 
the faithful revelation recorded by the men of God that were chosen to write 27 books in the New Testament. As authoritative, as inerrant and infallible as the Old Testament. Now, when the New Testament was being written, there was no New Testament. All they had was the Old Testament. The clear warning of perishing eternally if a person does not repent is ignored by many. We read these Old Testament prophets, oh, I can't believe those guys. Well, we've had the New Testament for 2,000 years. Do you know how many people have ignored the warnings for 2,000 years? Every generation? You know how many people are ignoring the warnings of perishing, even in our day, even this morning? They're the same authoritative scriptures. The certain return of Jesus to judge the world is mocked. It's been proclaimed for 2,000 years. If you read the whole Bible, it was declared from the beginning of Genesis. <laughs> the book of Jude tells you that Enoch, the seventh man, prophesied of Jesus coming back with, his mighty, with all of his angels. That's the second coming. Way back in Genesis. But people mock it. The consistent commands and exhortations to believers to grow and abide in Christ Jesus is compromised by some, at times by many. And yet it's the word of God, like the Old Testament, no different. Paul rejoiced that the Thessalonians received the word of God um, as the word of God. Listen to him in 1 Thessalonians 2.13. says, For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the words of, word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. So either you believe this is God's word, or you believe it is the words of man. One of the two. If you believe it's God's word, it can save you. If you believe it's man's word, It'll condemn you. It's just the way it is. The author was God. The men were mere instruments, as we said, who were enabled by God to communicate and record the words to ensure the scriptures are inerrant and infallible. Therefore, men and women are accountable to God. Now, the majority of churches today and seminaries do not believe in the inerrancy and infallibility of scripture. They've given it up. And yet... We don't have any original autographs. We have copies. But we have over 5,000 copies. So as you compare copy to copy, you can recover and find out if there is a letter wrong or a word wrong. If you make a copy of a letter that you sent out originally, you know, and you lose the original copy, but you can recover the 20 copies you sent out, you put them side by side and maybe you Xerox them and, and the ink was going out. You can tell if it was going to be a T or if it's a half L that looked like an E because you know English and you can compare them, right? So you can recover probably 99.9, 99.5 of that document, guaranteed, with 20 copies. we got over 5,000, ladies and gentlemen. So in the original autographs, they are inerrant and infallible. The small, minute differences that might be in our text are so small that it never affects any doctrine or anything else. These aren't my words, but the scholars' words. The biblical conservative scholars, not the liberals. <laughs> Okay. Now, First Timothy three sixteen seventy says all Scripture is given by inspiration of God as proper for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
So, if you want to be a Christian, you want to please God, then you should be a man or woman of the Word of God. That means you read it, you meditate upon it, you study it, book by book, line by line, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and you ask God to give you wisdom. You do that on your own as well as come to the church. <laughs> you don't come to church. You are the church. Be the church. Don't come to church. Peter says this in Second Peter 1, 19-21. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. And he's speaking about the Old Testament because the New Testament is not put together yet. Which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, listen carefully, <clears throat> that no prophecy of the scriptures of any private interpretation. Okay, that's a bad translation. Let me give you the words, and when I read the rest of it, it defines it. It's of no private or personal origin or impulse what was spoken in the past. Now listen carefully. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved, carried by the Holy Spirit. I don't know why they translate that private interpretation because people use that. They say, well, you can't interpret the Bible privately. Well, the Bible teaches that, but not here. The men of old spoke not from their own impulse or origin, but as God's Spirit came upon them, bore them, and carried them, having their difference of vocabulary, their own personalities, because we can see when Paul wrote something, when John wrote something, they write differently. Yet when God anointed them to put the Scriptures together and to write them down, they were inerrant and infallible. But when they weren't, they were as men of weakness and clucks like you and I. No different. As a matter of fact, if you read uh, the Gospel of John, when Jesus uh, tells Peter well, how he's going to die, they're going to lead you where you don't want to when you're older. And he, and he looks at John and he says, how about him? He says, what do you care about him? What if I want him to live forever? And then a rumor went out by Peter that John was never going to die. I like that. It's just like you and I. And so, here we have the scriptures. And we criticize as we look to the Old Testament, but we don't, we don't, it doesn't hit us between the eyes. The New Testament has been around for 2,000 years. And we have the same thing happening. So, the prophet of Adiah was a faithful vessel of the Holy Spirit. That's what we have before us, ladies and gentlemen. God's word. Now, notice secondly, you have... The period of Obadiah. The period of Obadiah <clears throat> helps us to at least uh, get an idea uh, where it fits in history, though we may not be able to nail the date. Um, the date of Obadiah, um, as I say, is one of the most difficult uh, that, uh, to establish. Um, if you take the earliest and the latest, there's almost 600 years between them. That's how many opinions there are. Okay? Now, let's just say we don't even know, and we don't know anything about Obadiah. Just that he prophesied. And, and say we couldn't put any date to it. Is that going to change the content? What we're warned about and taught? No. So we had no information about any of the prophets. No date for any of the prophets. Major or minor. It doesn't change the content. The important thing is the content. Now it's nice to be able to put it in perspective. But the date is not the important thing. Um... Many of the prophets um, don't name them. Name them, uh, Habakkuk. Uh, they don't have dates either. Now, there's a key section, though, here in verse 10 through 14 that's found in the prophecy of Obadiah that describes the crimes of Edom 
against the plunder of Jerusalem. So we get an idea. It's a period of time against Jerusalem. In verse 10, uh, Edom was treacherous. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. Verse 11, Edom was heartless in that day that you stood on the other side. In the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. Heartless towards them. Now remember, Edom and Israel are related. Jacob and Esau were twins. Not identical, paternal. They came from the same womb. Had the same mother and father. Look at verse 12. Edom was pleased with her evil. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day that of their destruction. Nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. So here... They, 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 they rejoice over their evil. And, and, and you know what I'm talking about because all of us, depending on how long we're in the world, when we, if we were in the world and we were, you know, following the course of the world, we rejoiced over some evil. We, we joked about it and made fun about it, but it was just bad what went on. And we just, you know, we went along with the program. Look at verse 13. They were without compassion. You should not have entered the gates of my people in the days of their calamity. <clears throat> Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the days of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. Overemphasis here. No compassion. Like somebody gets assaulted in the inner city and then the next guy comes by and rather than helping him, he goes through his pockets. See if there's anything left. By the way, this happens all the time. Our society is very, very vicious today. Very, very dangerous. Look at 14. Edom was a betrayer. You should not have stood at the crossroad to cut off those among of them who escaped. Nor should you have delivered up those among them who remain in the day of distress. Total betrayers. What's the basis of all of this? Pride. All of this is, you know, you, you, you go to your kitchen, you have, a, you have bowls, plates, forks, spoons, each have their thing. All of Obadiah is pride. And you have the different things of pride. It's all there. Now, there were several times Jerusalem experienced such plunder, but only two really are viable, and I really believe the, only the one. Let me give you them so you have, have them written down. In, in 926 B.C., Egypt came against Jerusalem in the days of Rehoboam, remember the son of Solomon, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord in First Kings 14, 25, and 26. That's the first one that we have. The second one is 845 B.C. Edom revolted in the days of Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, 
who had rebelled against God or Yahweh. And the Philistines and Arabs came against Jerusalem, taking away all the possessions of the king's house, his wives, his sons. Um, then God struck Jeroboam with an incurable intestinal disease that he died under severe pain in Second Chronicles 21. Then the third one is in 790 B.C. under Joash. Syria came up against him and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and destroyed the leaders, the people from among the people. And they sent all their spoils to the king of Damascus, Second Chronicles 24, 23. Then you have 597 B.C. Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem for the second time and he took Jehoiachin to Babylon along with his mother, servants, carrying away the treasures of the king's house and the house of the Lord, 10,000 captives, craftsmen, smiths, everything, Second Kings 24, 10 and 13, the cream of the crop, Daniel went in that one. Then you have the third siege of Nebuchadnezzar, which is, again here, the fifth one in 586. And here he besieged Jerusalem for the third time, the final one, destroying the city completely, breaching the walls, burning the complete city down. And everything and everyone was taken to Babylon, 2 Kings 25. Three sieges of Nebuchadnezzar. 606, and sometimes you find 605, 606, hyphenated. I just round them off into six, it's easier to do that. 606, 596, 586. The final one. Those are the three. Now, of the two that best fit as a possibility is 845 B.C. And others have chosen 586 B.C., the final destruction by Babylon. The Edomites, remember, were only involved in the pillaging of these two dates. Um, the last one is a complete siege. But when we look at the content in Obadiah, it doesn't really give ample description to a complete captivity. And there's no mention of the burning of the city. If you look at Jeremiah and compare it, there's no way it can be the same thing. The prophet would never leave all that out. The internal evidence uh, doesn't describe a complete destruction. Obadiah... Uh, by the way, and this is maybe the, the most important factor, Obadiah is quoted by Jeremiah 240 years later as he summarizes the Lord's judgment on the nations in Jeremiah 49, verse 7 through 22. If you were with us in our study of Jeremiah, we pointed that out. Jeremiah was quoting Obadiah, not the reverse. Okay? You quote prophets that are behind you, not before you. Therefore, the two dates, 845 B.C. Um, and Babylon, 586 B.C., I think that 845 is the most probable date for Obadiah, which again makes him the earliest prophet, second to Joel, um, and his contemporaries being Elijah and Elisha. So there's that whole thing, Joel Obadiah. But he's probably, again, in that, in that group and their contemporaries as we've seen already, uh, Hosea and Amos. Now, the times of Obadiah was familiar 
very much so to our times today. Too often churches, in their message today, from the pulpit, they don't confront sin, the sin of the people, the sins of the nation. Everybody wants to be politically correct. Nobody wants to offend anybody. Now, I don't think we should go out of our way to be arrogant. I don't think we should go out of our way to just use the pulpit as, you know, something that I'm just the guy who says everything. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. But any person who stands behind a pulpit and declares himself to be a pastor, uh, one called to preach the gospel, and does not warn the people about their sin and the sins of the nation, is not a true servant of God. It's real simple. Obadiah declared the judgment of God to these people. It's not the first time that they were declared to, but this is the final one before they get the judgment of God. When America was founded, it was never founded as a Christian nation. But it definitely was founded confessing and depending on the God of the Bible. Absolutely. There's only been one nation who's called a theocracy, and that's Israel. Yet, the documents of our Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Federalist Papers, and every other document, bears the name of God of the obvious relationship to the Bible the Judeo-Christian moral ethic of the Bible. You can't miss it. The money that we print bears in God we trust. You have some of it in your pocket, the coins. As you look at the overall history of America, absolutely, many of the signers of the Declaration were pastors. The Revolutionary War the induction began at the pulpits against England. The overwhelming number of monuments in Washington that have scriptures all over them is amazing. If you have never gone to Washington, D.C. in your life, do it before you die or the Lord comes. If you can take your children, take them. And go down to Virginia and go through the Civil War you'll find out what this nation was all about. This is not taught in school anymore. The vast majority of our presidents have lived and honored all these things that I've mentioned and others. But we have been drifting slowly and now in lightning speed against the God of the Bible and Christianity and every form of evil prevailing. I'm not talking about mistakes. I'm not talking about opinions. I'm talking about giving license to evil. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light, light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. These are the days we're living in, ladies and gentlemen. Woe does not mean he's on a horse. It means judgment. In 1952, President Truman, as you know, established one day a year as the National Day of Prayer. In 1988, President Reagan designated the first Thursday of May of each year for the National Day of Prayer. In June 2007, then-presidential candidate Barack Obama declared that the U.S. was no longer a Christian nation. 
Now, I already told you that America has never been a Christian nation. But when he said that, he meant that we no longer believed in God. That's what he's talking about. The God of the Bible. Then after he became president, he um, canceled the 21st annual National Day of Prayer ceremony at the White House under the ruse of not wanting to offend anyone. Yet he put the rainbow colors all over the White House, right? On September 25th, 2009, from 4 a.m. until 7 p.m., a National Day of Prayer for the Muslim religion was held on Capitol Hill besides the White House while he canceled the National Day of Prayer for America. There were over 50,000 Muslims that day in D.C. One person put it this way, quote, I guess it doesn't matter if Christians are offended by the event. We obviously don't count as anyone anymore. Listen to Isaiah 1.4. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backwards. There you have America today. Not everybody, but a great majority. So much that it's evident that the problem is not our leaders, but the people who vote them in. That's our problem. The period of Obadiah was a time of confrontation, ladies and gentlemen. If we just be silent, then we are part of the problem. And in fact, cowards do not share truth. Third comes the prophecy of Obadiah. The prophecy of Obadiah can be divided into two simple parts. Um, chapter 1, verse 1 through 16. You have the destruction of Edom. In 1 to 9, Edom's doom. 10 through 16, Edom's deeds. Okay? When you get to 17 to 21, you have the deliverance or salvation of Israel. So you have destruction in one, salvation in the other. 17 and 18, the promise to Mount Zion. And 19 to 21, the possession of the land. And we've seen this through all the minor prophets up to this point, right? That Israel still has a future day, right? So we don't believe replacement theology. The church is not Israel. The church has not replaced Israel. God is still going to deal with Israel after the rapture, the remnant of Israel. Now, the message of, ju of judgment is um, directed to the people of Edom. Uh, so it's important to find about Edom. Um, the Edomites were descendants of Esau, as I mentioned before. And Esau was a fraternal twin. Uh, brother of Jacob, and God declared that uh, they would be two nations, if you remember, as they were struggling in the womb of Rebekah, and that the um, older would um, uh, serve the younger in, in Genesis 25, 20 through 23. Esau was an outdoorsman and sold his birthright for a pot of red stew lentils, despising his birthright in spiritual things, Genesis 25, 29 through 34 tells us. Later, Jacob deceived his father, as you know, for the blessing and a bitter hatred began between Esau and Jacob, Genesis 27 and 28. Now, Esau was a rugged outdoors kind of guy. And Jacob 
J. Vernon McGee calls him a mama's boy. You know, he was with his mama all the time. Now, if you remember, Rebecca gave some advice to Jacob that really wasn't what God had in store. God had said that he was going to get the blessing, but Rebecca said, listen, let me give you another plan. I want you to just listen to me. Go to your Uncle Laban, you know, deceive your father, and then, you know, be a little while, you go to Uncle Laban, and then you come back, and okay, but it didn't work out, right? And we will never find out how God was going to do it, how he was going to bless um, Jacob. So, if you believe in the decrees of God, that God decrees something and it can't be altered, what do you do with that? God did it a different way. We'll never find out how he was going to do it. You see? Otherwise, we're saying that God lied. God changed his mind. It wasn't. As you know, he went to the University of Uncle Laban for 20 years. Thought he was going to see his mom in a couple of days, a couple of weeks. Didn't come back till 20 years. She was dead. She was a culprit. But he listened to her. He should have listened to God. Jacob returned afraid, but God told him to go back. Esau comes with about 400, 600 men. He divides his camp. You sure he's going to kill him? And so hugging, falling on him, crying. But that doesn't mean they were bosom buddies. <laughs> that hatred was still there. But God told him to go back, so God protected him. Genesis 33. Now, the Edomites occupied the area of Mount Seir. So again, all this is in relationship to the book here, so we understand who these people are and where they were. It is the mountain range extending from the Dead Sea to the Gulf of Aqaba. Some of you guys were in Israel, and the next year we'll go there. Uh, so the Dead Sea goes straight down south, right to the Gulf of Aqaba there by Egypt. And um, um, the name is Seir, the Horite, in Genesis 14, 6, and 36, 20. Now, the family, chiefs and kings of Edom, are listed for us in Genesis 36. In Seir... And Esau both mean hairy. As you know, when they were born, two nations were in the womb. Keep that in mind. She had a hard time with the pregnancy. God says two nations are in the womb. That was the focus. And Esau was hairy. And he was coming out first. And Jacob healed Catcher, grabbed the whole of his heel of his brother, a, a conniver, a flim-flam man. Okay? And, um, and so Seir and Esau both mean hairy. Edom means red. Seir, the Horite, means cave dwellers. And we get all this in Genesis 36, 20. They're all related. They're all speaking about the same people and the identification. Now, the ancient capital was Bozra, a few miles south of the Dead Sea. But Obadiah's day, the capital was the famous city of Petra or Selah known as the Red Rose City of Petra, in Jordan. Um, the third capital was Timon. You remember Eliphaz the Timonite that came to talk to Job? He was one of the miserable comforters. Okay? And so this city was their pride, their security. If you've been there or you've seen a documentary on it, you know why. 
Petra was a city carved out of the sandstone rock and was impregnable with its 200-foot cliffs straight up. And um, very narrow entrance, like a snake path inside, sometimes 10, 12, sometimes narrower. And um, so a few men could guard the entrances. It was very secure. And they were very proudful in this. When we first went for the first time, the late 70s, we used to ride it on a horse. That's the only way you can get in. Now it's all paved and everything, but it's still an S windy little trail. And um, petrolate in the great trade route between Syria and Egypt, benefiting from the trade and caravan taxes. It was such a secure place that many of the people with wealth and kings, they would deposit their money in the city of Petra. It was like Fort Knox. They knew that nothing would happen to their money. But you know, when you know that you know, you're in trouble. <laughs> Pride. Self-confidence. In fact, Petra will have a great important part in God's plan as she will house the remnant of Israel in the last three and a half years of Great Tribulation. Revelation twelve six tells us, which is prophesied in Isaiah 16, verse 1 through 3. And God will protect her there from the Antichrist. Now, the Edomites had become bitter enemies of Israel then. This is the background. The bitterness began with Jacob by the blessing. Because he heard his mother give him that advice. He heard his father confirm that. And so he was upset. <clears throat> so when Israel came out of Egypt... Um, Edom refused passage in Numbers 20, verse 14 down to 21. They said, listen, we, we want to go by. You know, we're not going to touch anything. If we eat any food, we'll pay you for it. We're just going to walk through. They didn't give them passage. That hatred, that bitterness is all there. Their treacherous um, heart and bitter acts against Israel were condemned throughout the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, we just finished, 319, Amos 1, 1, 11 and 12. Just condemned. Edom equates flesh and pride, which equals death. So when you think of Edom, that's all it represents. It's the old man. The captives at Babylon reminded God about the treachery of Edom. In Psalm 137, 7, it says this. Remember, O Lord Yahweh, against the sons of Edom, the day of Jerusalem, who said, raise it, raise it to its very foundation. Kind of irony. Raise it, meaning destroy it. <laughs> Just the opposite. That's how deep the hatred was between these two brothers. You, you probably know people like that. Maybe you're a people like that. <laughs> and, and there's been that, you know, that for whatever reason. And now as a Christian, I, I'm faced with my responsibility. Now, even though as a Christian, sometimes the other party doesn't want to. So all I can do is do all that I can and make sure that hatred and bitterness doesn't reside in my heart. That's my part. Herod the Great, who was the king at Jesus' birth, was an Edomite. And he sought to kill Jesus in Matthew 1, 16 and 18, as you know. Remember the wise men king. And when you find out where he's at, come back and tell me so I can go worship him. Yeah. 
Herod Antipas' son beheaded John the Baptist in Matthew 14.10. Herod, Edom, flesh, enemy of God. All the Herods, bad news. Herod Agrippa was glad to see Jesus, if you remember. But when he was brought before Herod, sent by Pilate in Luke 23, 8 and 9, Jesus didn't say a word to him. He was expecting him to do a miracle and he asked a question, didn't say nothing to him. The best thing you and I can ever do to our flesh is do not talk to it. If you engage, you are a dead man. Absolutely. Herod Agrippa killed James with the sword, Acts 12.1. The Herods, Edomites. Now, the doom of Edom was due to her sin. Look at verse 3. God revealed Edom's downfall, their prideful heart. Her place of residence was her security, the city of Petra. No one touches. God says, as an eagle, I will bring you down. I don't care who you are. Her boast was arrogant. Completely. God revealed their evil deeds in verse 10 through 14. In 10, they were treacherous. In 11, they were heartless. In 12, uh, they were pleased with their evil. In 13, they had no compassion. In 14, they were betrayers. Wow. Character. In 15, God revealed their recompense would be compared to the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is not good. It's good for us in that we leave before the day of the Lord begins. We get raptured. But the people who are left behind, that's tribulation and great tribulation. It's time of Antichrist. Ezekiel confirms this in Ezekiel 25, 12 through 13. So this, this message is nothing new in, 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 in the whole connection with tribulation and great tribulation and judgment. Um, the proclamation is twofold, short-term and long-term. Short-term for the days of Obadiah, long-term for the great tribulation and tribulation. Um, in 300 B.C., the Edomites were taken by the Nabataean Arabs. In 165 B.C., Judas Maccabeus took over uh, Hebron uh, to be their capital. In 126 B.C., John Hyrcanus uh, subdued the Edomites and forced them to become circumcised as the Jews. The last Edomite known was Herod. In 70 AD, the Edomites became extinct. Ever heard of an Edomite? An Edomite would be a figment of a person's imagination just as much as a Palestinian state or Palestinian people. It's never existed. Ever as a nation. Do you know that? Don't tell it to CNN, though. It's never existed. Didn't exist before 1955 with the PLO. Never. Now God revealed that he knew these sins that he's mentioned, as well as all other sins of the nation. Look at verse 6. Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasures shall be sought after. In other words, you'll be sought out for all your evil, and everything you've stolen, you've taken, it's going to be taken from you. Whoa. God said, 
Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated. In Malachi chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. God is referring to the hating of the nation of Edom for their evil in contrast to the nation of Israel. God told Rebekah that in her womb were two nations. That was the focus. He didn't say two people. We know there were two people. But his focus was two nations. Edom is Esau. Jacob is Israel. Two nations. When Paul quotes Malachi chapter 1 in Romans 9.13, he's not speaking about individual salvation that God predestined individual salvation. He's talking about his choosing of the nation of Israel over the nation of Edom. Context, context, context. Every Calvinist will give you Romans 9 to tell you that you were predestined individually and that God chose you. The way they define it, Calvinistic, is completely out of context. It's not individual salvation that's the context in Romans 9. It's national. Israel over Edom. Study your text. It's dishonest. These people are smart. They're not dumb. They've twisted the scriptures. Paul told the Galatians, Are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, are you now going to be made perfect in the flesh? Galatians 3.3. One answer only. No. If you began in the spirit, being born again, being cleansed from your sin... And God working through you. Are you going to continue the same or are you going to finish up by the flesh? The flesh will never do it. The flesh is pride. The flesh is sin. The flesh is judgment. The flesh is death, right? Simple. Esau and Edom represent the type of the flesh, the old man that cannot please God or appreciate the spiritual things of God. We treat the diamonds that God gives us as dirt clots. Because we view them through our flesh. We're thinking of ourselves, not the Lord or others. Edom is a form of the word Adam. And you know, he didn't make right choices, right? He had everything, but he wanted that one thing he couldn't have. That's the flesh. Haman the prophet. Not Haman the prophet, but Haman there in the book of Esther. Um, he had everything except one thing, the respect of Mordecai. He wouldn't bow. And because of that, he lost everything. <laughs> wow. Esau's call a profane man, despising spiritual things and doing violence to God's people, finding no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears in Hebrews twelve seventeen. It doesn't mean that God just rejected him. It means that he wasn't seeking repentance. What he was seeking was the blessing. And he cried over it. If you repent and you're sincere, God forgives you. But if your tears are just over the consequences and you're seeking just the blessing of God without repenting from your sin and seeing it against God, God doesn't hear you. It's impossible. Esau's profane characters affirmed throughout the scriptures. The pride of Esau and Edom deceive and destroy the nation of Esau. Pride will 
blind us to our weakness, to trust in our own strength. Listen to Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. This is God speaking. Proverbs 16.18. Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before the fall. Proverbs 21.24. A proud, haughty man. Scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. Proverbs 6.16-19. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination to him. Listen, what's number one? A proud look. Pride. You know Satan fell from pride, right? Second to God. Pride. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift in running to evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. There are seven things you should know that God hates. Absolutely hates it with absolute uh, holiness. Hates him. Pride will result in unwillingness to forgive, resulting in anger, hatred, bitterness, and vengeance, which keeps us from repenting. Listen to Hebrews 12. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down, and feeble knees, and make straight path for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. That's a Christian he's talking to. Lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. And by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright, for you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. He's talking to Christians. We have to guard our heart. Things happen in life. People do things. You got to make sure that you release these things. Go to the Lord. People ask forgiveness. You have to impart that. It'll destroy you. Vengeance that is righteous belongs only to God. Romans 12, 19 through 20 says. The principle of sowing and reaping is proclaimed throughout the scriptures. Galatians 6, 7 through 8. God will not be mocked. Whatever man sows, that you also reap. You sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. You sow to the spirit, you reap everlasting life. That's an absolute principle. Christian and non-Christian. And so the prophecy of Adiah was a judgment Of recompense. Absolutely. Obadiah. Through these three lenses. Gives a good insight into this man. The prophecy. The prophet Obadiah was a faithful vessel. Of the Holy Spirit. The period of Obadiah. Was a time of confrontation. And the prophecy of Obadiah was a judgment of recompense. What should we say to our nation where we are? Any pastor, any Christian who does not share the word of God and the judgment of God against the sin of people and the nation 
And I don't mean self-righteously. I don't mean, you know, arrogantly. I'm talking about warning, with love and compassion, what's going on. Well to us. And so, pride, the heart of destruction. God says, I will judge you and you will not measure up and you will utterly perish. Wow. Lord, thank you for your love and your goodness. Deal with our hearts and cause us to be open to the work of your spirit. We thank you for your word and we pray you continue to just deal with us, Lord. Thank you for this man and Father, just uh, the words you gave him. Lord, we thank you. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're in the balcony, maybe you're on the floor, maybe you're over the internet. If you believe Jesus is God who became man, if you believe he died for your sins, then he paid the price for your sins and rose from the dead, then the Bible says that you can call upon him to be saved as you repent of your sins, and he will cleanse you. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's all. And so if you want to be born again, this is your prayer to the Lord as you repent from your sins, and he's going to save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Obadiah, great guy. If you have questions, you have you need prayer. We'll be up here. Uh, keep me in prayer Tuesday morning, seven o'clock. You'll uh, cut my eye for the uh, lens and all that. And hopefully, it all works out. And then I'll find out what you guys look like. So let's see what happens. I'll be up for a prayer and question if you accept the Lord right over there. God bless you. See you tonight. Introduction.